Viles. Amber, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, my name is Amber Viles, and I'm a trained mental health counselor as well as a certified yoga teacher. And I went to grad school with Stephanie, and I work primarily with cognitive behavioral therapy. And my yoga offerings are rooted within the integration of yoga philosophy and Western psychology. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us today to talk a little bit more about yoga and mental health and how they are interrelated in a lot of ways. So we're just going to, I guess, start right off here with the first question, which is, why should people take yoga seriously? Okay, so that's a big question, right? And we've talked about this before in our own conversations, but as therapists, we oftentimes recommend that our clients try yoga and meditation as mindfulness practices to help support their progression in therapy. And sometimes we're met with a lot of enthusiasm, and other times we're met with resistance. And sometimes that resistance can look like oh, I've tried that, that's not for me, or it's like, oh, yoga, meditation, yeah, I've been told to do that a million times, yada, yada, and it's kind of get, gets brushed off. And I think part of that resistance is because we tell people to do yoga meditation, but we don't really give a reason why. And I know for me, when I start something new or somebody suggests something for me to try, I'm wondering the why behind it. And so I think the first place my mind goes is to try and make sense of the why behind the practice. And so yoga has many benefits, and there's many different reasons as to why people are attracted to the practice. And I'll start with the neuroscience behind it because I think that's really fascinating and it's something that is measurable and um, there's been a lot of scientific studies that have been done on the brain uh, specifically on people who do yoga and meditation. Awesome. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> so in counseling, you know, and we, um, especially in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, we learn that our thought and behavioral patterns are created um, by watching the people around us. With growing up, um, we see how the people around us interact with others and um, how they view the world. And so we start to mimic those behavior patterns and those thought patterns. And as we move through life, we, we see what works for us and we see what doesn't. And so when we see what doesn't work for us, when we can tell that our behaviors are not working, um, then we start to see what can I change, right? We start to think that what, what is something that I can change in my life? And we learn that our thoughts drive our emotions and our emotions drive our behaviors. So we can think of our bodies as cars that are fueled by those connections. And yoga comes into play in the fact that it helps us to create awareness around those connections, around our thought patterns, our emotions, our behaviors, so that we can become empowered in the fact that when we learn to pause and acknowledge those thoughts 
those emotions and behaviors, then we can change the narrative so that we can think and feel and act in ways that are beneficial to us and to others and overall the world around us. And, and I think that that's where the neuroscience of yoga starts to kick in. Um, so you can think of your, your brain as, or I'm sorry, you can think of your, um, you're driving down a dirt road. So when you're driving down a road, a dirt road for the first time, it's probably a little rough and you have to move more slowly so you don't hit a lot of bumps along the way. But the more you drive it, the smoother the road gets, so the faster you can drive on it. And that's how neural pathways are created and formed in the brain. So they're like little roads within the grooves of our brain. And the more we have a certain thought, or the more we complete a task, the faster those neural cells communicate between each other, and when it, with enough repetition, the thoughts and behaviors become automatic. So you think of these automatic behaviors are things such as reading, or driving a car, or riding a bike, and those are pretty complicated behaviors. Those are those are complicated things to learn, and, and when you first learn them, it's um, it takes a lot of time, but the more often you do it, the smoother the process and this response just becomes automatic. And the same thing happens with our thought patterns. When we think the same thing um, over and over again, we create those pathways in the brain. So we can do that with negative thoughts or we can do that with positive thoughts. Yeah, I often tell my clients, you know, you have to practice something over and over again before you really see like a strong impact from it. You can't just do it one time and expect it to work or do it when you're in a crisis and expect it to work. You're going to have to practice it. So when you are upset or you are in a more crisis situation, accessing it becomes much more easy and yoga and meditation is a type of practice that you do have to do consistently in order for those grooves in the, your brain to fly smoothly and you're just, oh, yoga, that's going to help me in this situation. Or, oh, practicing some meditation is going to bring my anxiety or down and help me with my depression, for example. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and how does it do that, right? So, so we think about how those neural pathways connect to each other and how those responses are automatic. And, and really yoga helps us to create those neural pathways because it helps to bring our bodies and our minds into a relaxation response. So when we're in a state of relaxation, we can access our prefrontal cortex where our rational and creative thinking skills lie. And, and when you think about it, when we're in a stress response or um, sometimes called the fight or flight response, our minds and our bodies are thrown into survival mode and we're more connected to our limbic system. So specifically the amygdala where um, we are associated with fear and anxiety. 
And that stress response is a great survival tool when we're being chased by a mountain lion (laughs) and our adrenaline needs to kick in, right? But um, more often than not, our stress response is activated by negative automatic thoughts than it is us being chased by a mountain lion. (laughs) So, (laughs) So when we use breathing techniques and meditation, which are associated with yoga, we induce a really deep physiological state of rest, which allows us to access that rational thinking portion of our brain. And we can create space between that stimulus and response. So instead of automatically reacting to a situation, we can take the time to pause, reflect, and then respond in a way that we feel good about. Yeah, I think yoga is a a lot more than just the asanas or the movements. Um, And I think people forget that. And it's really this like daily practice um, that I think a lot of people could benefit from using more frequently. Um, And I know we talked about exploring what ways that yoga could change your brain. And I think that could be a, a great segue here to talk about how it really creates long-lasting change uh, for people if they participate in yoga regularly? Yeah, so there there are a lot of scientific studies. You can Google them and read them online. Um, and, and it's really fascinating to see how the brain really changes um, after you've practiced consistently. And it specifically, like your GABA levels in your brain changes. And GABA is a neurotransmitter in the brain that blocks impulses between nerve cells. So it helps to control fear and anxiety when your neurons become overexcited. And so low levels of GABA in the brain have been linked to anxiety and mood disorders, such as depression. And so practicing that relaxation state and response Um, that we create in our yoga practice helps us to increase those GABA levels in the brain. There's also been studies that show that uh, meditation helps to increase gray matter in the brain. And gray matter is um, how we process information in in the brain. So it includes regions of the brain involved in muscle control and sensory perception, such as seeing, memory, uh, decision-making, and self-control, which are, you know, crucial to our mental health. And so people who, um, who consistently meditate have been shown to have more gray matter in those regions of the brain. And there's um, this 2002 study that... I read about um, Buddhist monks having their brains scanned. And there was this particular Buddhist monk named uh, Matthew Ricard. And when his brain was scanned, they actually found the highest level of gamma waves. And the gamma waves are associated with attention, memory, learning, and happiness. They found the highest level of gamma waves ever recorded by science in his brain. And so he's, he's been dubbed the happiest man alive. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty cool title to have. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's due to his thousands of hours of meditation over his lifetime. Wow. So, yeah, it's really, really fascinating how this, these techniques that we use in our yoga practice can completely change the chemistry of our brain. If that's not a sales pitch to do yoga every day, I don't know what else is, really. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I know we also had talked about yoga as part of, like, a community, and it could build connections um, with others. And I think that in itself is a, a great aspect of yoga. Yes. And, you know, uh, in in psychology, we talk about creating those support networks, creating those support systems and having those connections to others because it helps us just overall with our mental health. And uh, when we are connected to a yoga studio or connected to these people in our classes, we form relationships with them and we create these bonds. And also another um, really interesting uh, study that I've read before, it was based on women who were pregnant, who were taking prenatal yoga classes, and they were diagnosed with depression. And in these classes, they had hands-on adjustments from the teacher. And after the classes, they had their brain scanned and they reported higher levels of serotonin in their brains wow. because of the physical touch that they received from from the teachers from those adjustments so even just being surrounded by people and creating those social networks are great for creating community but again it also can affect our brains and create those happy chemicals um, for for us, for that sense of love and belonging. Yeah, and I think another really important thing to not, I guess, overskip here is the connection that you can gain between yourself and your own body, like your body, like your mind and your body through practicing yoga. I think, at least in my experience in my therapy practice, I see a lot of people who are just in their head all the day, like very analytical, intellectual types who maybe don't really have a, a deeper connection with their body or their emotions. And by practicing yoga and all the different types of yoga, especially more like gentle um, yoga forms, there's this like emotional, physical connection that I think people have the opportunity to build and like knowing their body more, I think, can actually help their mental health yeah oh yeah and and it's all about that awareness it goes back to awareness and you know when people first start coming to yoga classes it's usually because they want to come for the fitness aspects of it and so we start to create that awareness of our bodies in space and how we relate to our bodies um, while we move through the poses and we start to notice the sensations of what we feel, how our arms feel in Warrior Two, how our feet feel rooted in the earth in Mountain Pose. You know, we start to recognize that 
And then once we move past the physical awareness of the body, we can start to really pay more attention to how our bodies are connected to our minds and how our minds are connected to our emotions. It's just all, it's all there. It's all interconnected. It's all, um, it all works off of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of great things that we could dive into probably just with that specific thing, but I, I do want to ask the, the next question, which is, I mean, we kind of already talked, touched on this honestly about why it's important to be consistent with practicing yoga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I like to use this analogy when explaining why we should have this consistent yoga practice. So think about a time when you're in this stress mode and you are feeling anxious or uh, things around you may be chaotic and and it's ready to it's time to make dinner so instead of using your energy and your resources to make a four course meal you go into the freezer and you pull something out that you've already prepared and you put it in the microwave and that is comparable to having your consistent yoga practice because it's something that you made when you were already in a state of okayness. When you were feeling okay, when you were feeling good, you pre-made that meal for this time when you may not have the energy to do it. And so when we have those days of stress, we rely more on our routine and we do things more automatically out of our habits. So on those days, we can pull from the freezer. We can pull from our toolbox. And this creates more resilience when crisis happens. And so on those days when we feel okay and we feel great, those are the days that we have the mental capacity to formulate those routines. And I, th I think it's important to acknowledge that a yoga practice doesn't have to be an hour and a half on your mat, right? It can be as simple as rolling out of your bed and the first thing you do in the morning is focus on your breathing. Notice, notice how your breath moves through your body for 10 minutes and then start to bring that breath down into your belly, into your lungs and making your exhales a little longer than your inhales that can be your yoga practice for the day. But creating that routine of, yes, every morning when I wake up, I'm going to do 10 minutes of yoga. Whether that routine is the breathing or it's doing a flow, it doesn't have to look the same every single day. And it's creating that awareness that it doesn't have to look the same every single day. Um, and that awareness is our inner self. Like, what do you need in that day? What do you need in that moment? And that brings more presence into our day. So throughout the day, we can drop in with ourselves and we can ask ourselves what we need 
in that moment in time. Yeah, I, <clears throat> this is a little side note, but I really got introduced into yoga through both like my therapist and my uh, clinical supervisor. When my clinical supervisor, you know, she was a, a registered yoga teacher and she encouraged me to get into yoga as did my therapist at the same time. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm a runner. Like that's what I do. I don't like do yoga and slow down. And then <laughs> <laughs> I read um, Body Keeps the Score. Um, but, and I'm probably going to butcher his name because I'm bad at pronouncing names, but it's Bessel van der Kolk. He's a, a doctor and a clinical psychiatrist. And there's an entire like chapter in that book about yoga and how like having these practices, especially when practicing in groups and having this routine can like help build these like solid, like going back to the neural pathways and like habits of being able to access them regularly. And I think there's like some statistic that's like 80% of people have experienced some sort of like trauma in their life and have some sort of like depression or anxiety or something that has impacted them. So I feel like if with 80% of the population experiencing some sort of trauma, like yoga is for everybody and yoga is mm-hmm. needed for everybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's talking a lot about how in group classes um, you can get the benefits even more in those situations because there's a such thing as like mirror neurons. And like, if, somebody else in the class is like super relaxed, like your body and your mind will kind of like mimic that and create like this community of like peacefulness just within that class alone. Mm, That's, that's really interesting. And it, it, you know, you can feel that too, even though, even if you don't know what the name of it is, the mirror neurons, like you can feel that when you walk into a room full of people, like you can feel the energy of people. and you can tell what what's going on and you can you kind of mirror that that energy too um as as you walk into that room and i think also like when i when i worked at um a mental health agency in clearwater i um primarily worked with people with schizophrenia and we would do breathing exercises and just uh small chair stretches before we start our sessions and it just made a world of difference like when we from when we started the class and from when we started our breathing and our movement and then we moved into whatever we were focusing on for the day um, you can just tell the change of the energy in the room Mm -hmm. yeah which kind of leads us almost into our Final question, which is I've seen on Facebook and other social media aspects, this idea that people don't have the privilege of time to practice yoga or to do like coping skills. I oftentimes hear from people like, oh, like I'm so busy. I don't know if I have time to like you said, like a 30 minute yoga class. Like, do I even have time to do that? So I was hoping we could talk about different ways and you kind of just gave some actually about sitting in your chair and stretching, like different ways people can practice yoga, like on the go or like start introducing some of these things before perhaps they're able to attend a a full on class. Yeah. And I think also that is, um, 
that's a really good point to make that, you know, yoga, yoga is so much more than just the physical practice, the physical postures. And so I think when, when we talk to people about yoga, we, we should talk about breath work and, and meditation and being mindful of the present moment, because those are all ways that we can live yoga. Um, and so just a short way to practice yoga, we talked about the breath, um, doing the, the deep belly breaths and making our exhales just a little longer than our inhales um, to help get us into that relaxation response. Um, another one is just creating awareness of our thoughts. And so throughout the day, you can start to notice um, your thoughts like a movie. Sit back and watch those thoughts. And you can make it into a game. Like once you start to notice yourself thinking those automatic negative thoughts, you can say, oh, I see you. I know you're there. And then this will disrupt the pattern of those thoughts. And it gives you an opportunity to create a healthier thought pattern for yourself. And that's something that you can do anytime throughout the day. Um, just dropping in with yourself and creating that awareness. And that that's very similar to um, to transforming your negative self-talk into positive self-talk. So I use this example in yoga classes, especially in poses like chair pose, which can be very challenging for a lot of people. Um, when we experience a challenging pose in yoga, we start to experience the same kind of thoughts that we would experience when we're doing, when we're experiencing something challenging in our daily lives. And so in your chair pose, you may be thinking, oh, I'm not strong enough to do this. I'm not good enough to be in this class. But you can start to disrupt that negative self-talk and those thought patterns and think of a time when you made it through this pose. And that helps you to create that resilience on and off of the mat. And it helps you to change that narrative um, of what you think of yourself. And that reflects on how you interact with the world around you. And I also really like um, dropping into your senses. And you can do this anywhere too, like just taking a moment to notice what you smell, what you hear, what you feel, um, and, and really take just a few moments to absorb that. And it will help you to slow down and be more present instead of your mind, your mind's chatter bringing you into an anxious state because you're thinking of all the things that you should do or could do. Um, and it brings you more into this present moment of, okay, this is what is happening right now. And I also uh, really enjoy doing gratitude journals. So writing three to five things down every single day that you're grateful for. And this will help to rewire your brain as well. Because when we focus on gratitude, it strengthens our neural pathways to focus on 
the positive things, the things that we already have, the things that um, we can feel grateful for, and we can use that in moments of pain to help give us strength. And so just taking just a little bit of time to write down three things that you're grateful for, and they don't have to be huge things. They can just be something in the moment. Maybe it's just waking up in the morning. Maybe it's that you have food on the table. Maybe it's that you have running water. Those little things add up to the big things and make you make your brain change its chemistry. Yeah, I always like to give the example of for people like, you know, you can sit there and be grateful for maybe like material things in your life, but even just like appreciating like the sun on your face, like, no, no, to me, that's like such a nice feeling that mm-hmm. imagining myself experiencing that, especially in the cold winters of Colorado, like imagining like sun being on my face, just like warms up my whole heart and practicing that little tiny gratitude in the morning, like really sets me up for a much better day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to participate today and educate everyone on yoga and mental health and their intersection. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. And we'll have everyone tune in hopefully next week. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Good.